Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. God loves you. That means he will correct you, and he will also comfort you. We often welcome the latter and bristle at the former. You have the choice to be part of the total journey towards restoration, or you can fight against the parts you don't like. You get to choose between hope and despair. Will you invite God to rule and reign in your life? Good morning, y'all. We are so glad. I'm so glad you guys are here. We're so grateful for you. God is doing absolutely incredible things in this church. If you're newer visiting uh, with us, um, I'm going to remind you uh, or remind us and then also explain to you the heartbeat of our church. This comes from Isaiah 61. Um, and I'm excited. We're in the book of Isaiah right now. We preach through books of the Bible. Um, and uh, Isaiah 61's coming up, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but let me just introduce you to what we believe. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness, always. There's all, uh, there is never a place where, where God says, ah. right? Always, there's a place where, where God will, is, is with you and then he helps you it come out of that place of brokenness into a place of freedom. And you might say to yourself, well, I don't feel very broken. Um, praise God, right? And just wait. Because uh, uh, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your kids. Uh, maybe it's your grandkids. Uh, all of us have the experience uh, of encountering in different seasons of our lives being lost and now found. Um, second, we believe that we are called to trust in our risen Savior, and we're learning how to do that together, and Jesus is alive. Amen? He's in our presence. He's alive. And then third is that we get to bring restoration, and it's incredible to watch um, Rob and Rosemary do that with Janice, their friend, um, and I just love it that you, that you, we were concerned about whether or not she would say yes to the money, but I just, I just love it that you... He said, no, this is for you. Your name's on the check. You have to take it. Um, so next week, we're going to collect change for a dollar and do it all over again and see how else we can be a blessing to people who uh, are, are not yet part of this church. And then to watch you guys give so generously to our deacons and so that the families who have real pressing financial needs within our church are also taken care of. Uh, we aim to be a congregation that is a is generous and is a blessing to people that we have. And each one of these uh, truths of hope beyond our brokenness and trust in our risen Savior and restoration for our community has a choice that we make that's attached to it. And, uh, those cho- and this is what we say every week together. We just, once again, keep on choosing. Can you read this with me and, and, and declare it with me? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in a resurrection work. So, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are during a time when um, Washington and Oregon have invaded California, right? So, in Israel's topography, that would be the nation of Assyria, 
um, which is modern-day Syria. It would also include modern-day Lebanon. Um, and that's, um, so if Israel's California, it would be like from Northern California all the way to Santa Barbara as now controlled by evil Oregonians, okay? Uh, and so, but it, and we, we kind of laugh, but that's not a, that's a real deal. Imagine if ISIS take, took over the northern two-thirds of California. That's what the Assyrians were like. They were awful. And, and their capital was Nineveh. No wonder Jonah didn't want to go and preach there and would choose to be swallowed by a whale rather than go there. Um, it, it was a nightmare place and brutal place. And so that's where Israel's at. So it's just devastation. That's, that's the historical context of the first 39 chapters of, of, of Isaiah. And then something incredible happens. Israel um, gets its really last true great king, and that's King Hezekiah. And, and the Assyrian army is, is marching on uh, Southern California. That would be the land of Judah. Uh, the region of Judah, and they're about to, they're, they're surrounding Jerusalem's walls, 180,000 Assyrian troops, and Hezekiah leads the nation in prayer. It's crazy, right? It hasn't happened in generations in Israel's history. Hezekiah leads the nation in prayer, and he gets up in the morning, and he sees 180,000 troops dead, and the king of Assyria and his royal guard fleeing the scene. And in the middle of the night, God had created confusion among the Assyrian troops. They thought that they were being attacked, and they ended up destroying themselves. <laughs> Say what? That's incredible, right? So news, news spreads across the land. The superpower that is actually on the rise and, and has taken serious interest uh, in what is happening is the kingdom of Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq, um, uh, the capital city, of, uh, uh, which has had the seven hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, right? That's the Babylonians. That's modern-day Baghdad, okay? So the Babylonians take note. They realize, whoa, a, a, the, the might of Assyria, which was... They were even greater than Babylon at the time, had just been destroyed by a little tiny pipsqueak country called Israel. What's Israel have? The do they have a new stealth bomber? What's going on? And so they send an envoy to Israel and they say, oh, um, King Hezekiah, how did you do this? And King Hezekiah goes, oh, well, let me, let me show you how. It was incredible. And, and he says, here's my vast army, which was not a vast army, right? And then here's all the money and loot that I took from the Syrians. Look at all my storehouses. And that was a lot of money and loot. And the Babylonians thought to themselves, wait, this, this knucklehead just said a prayer to his God and, and he was fine? Oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. And in between chapter 39 and 40 of the book of Isaiah, the Babylonians invade and Hezekiah dies and they crush Israel and they take the rest of Israel into captivity, march them across the desert, and they're gonna spend the next 70 years in Baghdad, okay? Captive. Imagine, right? Spending the next 70 years in 
Bullhead City, Arizona, right? Barstow, okay? That's almost the same amount of distance, right? Let's walk to Barstow and then live there for 70 years, right? That'd be bad, yes? I mean, you don't even get to see Lake Havasu, right? It's just, you're just stuck there. It would be awful. Uh, so, so that's what has happened. That's what has happened to Israel. And so Isaiah is going to write a letter to his friends that are in captivity and talk to them about God's comfort um, and also God's correction. And that's what today is about. And so what Kilo, when Kilo led worship and he said, hey, look, um, it's about God and the fact that he's always been faithful to us and he's always been there. Uh, that's exactly what today's passage is about. So can we pray? That'd be okay? Lord Jesus, we, we bind up anything opposed to Christ that's attacking us, whether um, we're watching online or we're here in, in the sanctuary, and we command it to leave and go to Jesus to be judged. Well, Father, we need this time and this space for you. And so protect us and bless us and open our ears and our eyes and awaken our spirit to everything you want to say to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 with me? Ready? Here we go. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. What? You're enslaved in Barstow, and God says to you, comfort? There's no comfort there. What's going on? So I need you to understand something if you're going to understand this passage, and it is about... It is, it is part of understanding the Christian life and the freedom and that, that God offers. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus will correct you, and correction is not easy. Can somebody say amen? amen? Now, if you're a parent, you understand how essential it is to correct your children. Someone say amen. amen. Right? Your children are not born, born saints. They're little pagans running around your house. Right? Right? They didn't, they didn't come into this world saints, right? They're broken and fallen just like everybody else. And they need correction, which means they need consequences for their rudeness, a firm hand to lead them out of entitlement and selfishness. Children need and want boundaries. They need you to say no. That doesn't... Also... I know that some of you have children that are over the age of 25. It still remains the case, okay? That didn't just magically go away. Your job as a parent never ends, okay? They need your, they need your correction. They need your guidance. They need to know that there's consequences for the choices that they make if it's disobedience or consequences for their obedience. They need to know. And they need you not to rescue them from the consequences of their disobedience. That's, that's hard, right? That's hard. And, and more importantly, not more importantly, just as importantly, is that they need your constant love through it all. My friend tells the story of her three-year-old daughter putting her hand in the VCR opening. You know that magical opening where kids would put peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and everything else, right? If you don't know what a VCR is, I love you. 
So the first time her daughter puts the hands in the VCR opening, and my friend says, mm-mm, no, don't do that. Second time, my friend tells her daughter, if you put your hand in it again, it's going to get swatted. And this little three-year-old, you know, is right here at the VCR, and she looks at her mom, and she goes like this. <laughs> Just like steely-eyed, right? Just determined. And so when, what did my friend do? swatted the hand. She says, if you do it again, mom says to the daughter, if you do it again, I'm going to swat your hand again. Daughter goes, <laughs> right? Swat. Again, swat. Again, swat. Like 10, 11, 12, like four, 15 times until, until what? Until the pain of disobedience was greater than the satisfaction of sticking her hand in the VCR. And of course, the little girl's crying and mom wraps her up in love. All of us have stories of our children pushing the boundaries and forcing us to correct their behavior. And if you're a parent, this is so essential, you need to understand that when you're correcting your child's behavior, and this is true no matter how old they are, when you're correcting your child's behavior, you're never shaming them or condemning them. You're correcting their behavior with love at the same time. We all know if we've had parents that shamed and condemned us, how painful it was to be corrected, but then also to be crushed. Your job as a parent is to correct them, but also to love them at the exact same time. Now here's what's crazy. As adults, what we think is that somehow magically, God, who is the best father in the whole universe, do you agree? Somehow no longer corrects us. Right? right, right. I'm spectacular, right? You know, look at how clean my eyebrows are. This is incredible, right? I, you know, you know. Everything I do is sprinkled with pixie dust, right? No. This is not the case. God actually will, as your good father, will hand you over to the consequences of your decisions. Good decisions and bad decisions. Consequences are painful, but they're only half of God's correction. When God corrects us, the first half of that correction is consequences. The second half is Walking with God into freedom. Does that make sense? So let me ask you, let, let, me, let me put it this way. So we, we suffer the consequences of our actions. We think, ooh, that didn't work out well. That hurt. Yeah? Drop an anvil on your foot. Mm, that's gonna, you know, it's going to be tough to walk that one off. Okay? But then the, the second part of God's correction is also then learning what it looks like to say, gosh, I was really selfish. I was really afraid. I, I was really, I was faithless in that moment. And to bring that forward into the light so that he can heal it and redeem it and we can live in freedom. Does that make sense? Let, let me put it in a different, same concept, different words. God's correction comes with us living with the consequences of our actions and God's correction is also us walking with God step by step into a different way of living. You picking up what I'm putting down? So what does this second half of the correction look like? Let me give you some examples. So you and I rebel or we mess up 
by not talking to God and not listening. So what does correction look like? Read this with me. Correction is you. It's a difficult concept, right? No. It's pretty straightforward, yes? This is hard, though. Right? If, I, if I'm not listening to God and I realize, golly, how do I get out of this hole? Well, I start listening to God. That's harder than you think to do. And that's what God's teaching me. I'm going to talk more about this later at the end of the sermon. But God is teaching me moment right now, moment to moment, to say, what's next, Jesus? What do you have for me here? What do you have for me next? What shall I do here? That's not easy. My habit is just to go it alone. Let me give you another example. Um, when you and I rebelled by not trusting God and not obeying, read this with me. Correction comes with you trusting what God says in prayer and through his word and obeying. Yes, I actually mean obeying, not intention. We are so good at this. Oh, yeah, I, I totally intend to obey. That's enough, right? I want to do the right thing. I'm not going to. I want to do the right thing. No, obeying actually means obeying. So April for Mother's Day last Sunday, she, I asked her, what do you want to do? And she goes, I want to just watch a movie. Um, uh, you handle the kids. You handle dinner. I said, what do you want for dinner? She goes, I would love a pizza. And I was like, all right, done, pizza. So I order a pizza and go pick up the pizza because no one delivers to where we live. And go pick up the pizza. And I said, do you have our pizza ready? And the guy looked at me and he goes, I gave your pizza away to the wrong person. And right there, in that little moment, I threw an entitled little hissy fit. <laughs> and he said to me, it'll be seven minutes. I threw a hissy fit over seven minutes, right? I was all, Ugh. and Jesus is like, what are you doing? And I'm all throwing a hissy fit <laughs> over seven minutes. And he's like, stop it. And I'm like, okay. So I was nice, I'm like, hey, no problem. Thanks for making another pizza. Appreciate you guys. They're like, no problem. And I'm like, I'm not leaving them a tip. Seven minutes, right? <laughs> I got to call my mom, right? I, I'd like the seven minutes was like, an, it was a great use of time. So I left and I'm driving away. And Jesus is like, you're not going to tip them over seven minutes? And I'm like, nope. And he goes, turn the car around right now. And I'm like, I don't want to turn the car around, but I had to, but I turned the car around and I walked in and the two guys working the shop were like, uh-oh, now what? <laughs> and I gave them a tip and then they were totally surprised. They smiled ear to ear and they're like, wow, thanks. But I didn't, like, I, I could have kept on driving and said, well, next time. That would be intention. But correction is actual obedience. It's actually doing what God is asking you to do. You picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah. Let me give you another example. This won't be the whole sermon, by the way. <laughs> you, you rebelled by choosing your way, your timing, your priorities. Read this with me. Correction comes by choosing God's way, God's timing, God's priorities. Instead of pushing for what you want, you're going to have to ask Jesus if he wants that for you. Yeah, right? We get lost and we make mistakes by saying, well, God must love everything that I want. I mean, I asked him to bless my rebellion. Why isn't this working? It's not how it works. 
You got to ask God sometimes, is this what you want from me? Now, here's the other tricky thing that we do as Christians. We'll say, God, do you want this for me? And he'll say yes. And then we'll say, great, give it to me right now. (laughs) That's not acceptable either. God will always give you exactly what you need that was going to wildly bless you, but it's, it's got to be his timing, right? If you push and push and push and push to try and make it your timing, how does it work out? There's seven people that have learned that very painful lesson. Does anyone else want to admit to it as well? How does that work out? Not good. Now, here's what's really important. God's correction is not condemnation. Let me repeat that again. God's correction is not condemnation. God's correction is not shame. God's correction is painful at times because we suffer the consequences of our actions. But what I want to do is I want God to rescue me from all of the consequences of my actions, and that's not how this life works. I've broken opportunities, I've broken relationships, I've broken God's timing for me to make a difference, and I have to live with those losses. And you have too. And you know what that feels like. And even though those losses are painful, God's love for me has not lessened, God's good plan for me has not been derailed, and God's God does not like condemn me and shame me for those mistakes. Does that make sense? How can this be, Andy? How? Because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And the it is all of the condemnation. Paul says in Romans, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's finished. It's done. Does that make sense? So here's the key in God's correction. Next slide. Should I choose to listen and obey, God will gladly lead me out of my hell and into his heaven. So here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to be corrected? Jesse should go ahead. No, that's what she's honest right? Are you willing to be corrected? Let me, let me be clear. You're going to suffer the consequences of your decisions no matter what. You can't escape that, right? That's just, that's just life. That's reality. Are you willing for the second half of God's correction, the honesty part, the repentance part, the trusting and praying part, the having him lead you step by step out of your hell into his heaven, If you are, now Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, makes sense. Because when you do, actually let God correct you, you will experience this. Comfort, oh comfort my people. Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem, but also make it very clear that she has served her sentence, that her sin is taken care of, forgiven, She's been punished enough, more than enough, and now it's over and done with. You, if you are willing to be corrected by Jesus, you will find comfort as, you, as he walks you out of your wilderness into his promised land. 
the first thing that God does when he comforts you is he, or corrects you is he's also gonna comfort you. He's saying, look, I know the consequences of your choices are painful, but I'm, I'm also gonna build something new and beautiful out of all of this. And I think every single one of us, and this is ancient Israel as well as today, when we run up into the brick wall of our consequences, of our, the reality of our decisions, we feel like God has left us and abandoned us. And Isaiah 41 says, that's not the case. God is always with you, and God is always making a way out for you. This is verse 3. Read this with me. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, may straight the paths of our God. John the Baptist preached this. This was his message. But this is, this is written 700 years before John the Baptist. Read this with me. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. What is God saying? What is God saying? God is saying this, I know you're in the wilderness, I'm here with you, and I'm making a way out. I, I'll drive to the mountains up in the Sierra Nevadas and I go on Highway 41 up to Paso and then 46 to 41 where Jimmy Dean Sausage met the egg truck and, <laughs> right? That's that place, right? Right there on Highway 41, you know what they're doing? They're, they're building a new highway. And so in all of those hills and mountains and valleys, you know what they're doing? Every mountain and hill is being made and every rough ground and low hill is being made level. God is saying, I'm literally building a level road that will be your path to walk to freedom. And we could say, yeah, whatever. I know, I, I know God is with me. I, but then actually we don't really live like that. I want to tell you one of the most astonishing gifts I have being your pastor is to pray with you. And when I get to pray with you, uh, and this is, happens every single time I pray with you, I'll ask in that moment, Jesus, where are you? Where were you in this time, in that pain? And every single time you have the exact same experience it's, oh, he was right there with me. When we get to heaven, we're gonna be astonished during our long talks and walks with Jesus that he knows every intimate detail of our life. Why? Here's why. This is Isaiah 40. Jesus has felt all of your pain. Your heavenly Father has endured all of your abuse with you. The Holy Spirit has been with you through every tear, every moment of fear, every moment of your wilderness. So then when you read verse three again about the mountains and the valleys and the paths, is God just talking about geography and topography? No. What is he talking about? He's talking about the geography of our hearts. He's talking about every mountaintop of pride and arrogance that you have in your life in this season of correction, will be lowered. And every moment where you felt worthless and unloved and unwanted, those will be raised. Does that make sense? That every twist and crooked thing in your heart is actually going to be straightened and made level so that your heart and your mind and your life is now properly ordered. 
and you can go from bondage to freedom. Does that make sense? Wait, Andy, that's a metaphor. Israel's in real slavery. Okay, just hold on. Isaiah's going to get there. Verse 5. Let's keep reading together. You ready? And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We read this stuff, and we think, I don't even know what that means, so I'll skip it. Let me tell you what it means. The glory of the Lord is the weight of his presence. If the weight of his presence is revealed, that means that in the middle of your slavery, in the middle of your correction, in the middle of your wilderness, in the middle of all the pain of suffering your consequences, you're going to see God show up. You know what happens when you see God show up in the middle of your pain? Hope is born. Hope is the very, very truth that God is with you and is more than capable of creating something good for your life out of the middle of your wreckage. Somebody say, amen, I'm preaching now. Yeah, Andy, but you don't know, don't know how bad the consequences are of my actions are. You don't know how big of a hole my kids are in or my grandkids are in. You don't know. I get what you're saying because you're wrestling with God right now. Israel did the same thing. I do the same thing. So I love what God does next. He's going to flex a little bit, right? Because Israel's like, yeah, and that's nice that you're saying this too, but like I'm literally stuck in Baghdad and I'm a slave. So like you're going to have to do better than like nice things about my heart because I don't care. Everybody I love is destroyed. My whole family, but businesses, all my like 100 years, my family's history is wiped off the face of the earth and I'm here. What are you going to do, God? And so God flexes a little bit. Verse 12, God says to Israel, hey, by the way, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with his breath, the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? What? (laughs) God is big enough to do this with the universe. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and hills in a balance? Hmm, which is heavier? Oh, snap. Verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? I try all the time. God, this is what you should do. And God's like, shh, just shh, 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 shh. 14. Read this with me. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Anybody get a phone call from God saying, what should I do next? <laughs> anybody? Anybody? Ever, anybody, get, anybody like been pulled aside by God and God go, I'm really confused here. What do, what do I do? Who's taught him the right way? Who, who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? This God love me like, that's me. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm enough. What is God saying? God is saying he's more than capable of restoring your heart. He's more than capable of restoring your life. He's more than capable of restoring your child or your grandchild. Somebody say amen. Amen. God can take the raw materials of all of your mistakes and your successes and create something beautiful out of him. That's literally what he does for a living. God is the God of resurrection, the God of hope, the God of life the God of the cross and the empty tomb. Say amen. Amen. That's why we have hope. 
Because that's what God does. That's what he does. And what is our response? Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? What's our response? Yeah, but you're not doing it fast enough. Or I don't understand. Or how come you're not? Or why is this? We're just complaining. What does he call you? Wait, why did God call you Jacob? Who's Jacob? He's a heel grabber. That's literally what he named his name in Hebrew. He's the second of the twin. You remember his older, hairier, athletic brother, athletic brother, star linebacker for UCLA Bruins? His name is Esau, right? Jacob was the computer programmer, right? Not the athletic type, okay? Do you remember what the second meaning of Jacob's name is? Trickster or deceiver. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. And so then he's put in exile because Esau wants to kill him. And Jacob is living with the consequences of his actions. And do you remember what Jacob does when he's finally willing to be corrected by God? Do you remember what he does? He says, I'm going to go back home. And what does he do when he goes back home? He's about to cross over into Esau's family territory. And at that river right there, at that place at Jabuk, he, he wrestles with God. And what does he wrestle with? He wrestles with the angel of the Lord. I think it's Jesus. He gets his hip all jacked up. But what is Jacob demanding? What is he asking? He's demanding and asking. He's wondering, God, even in the middle of all my exile, and even in the middle of me suffering all my consequences, will you still bless me? This is what the complaint is about. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Because every single one of us, when we're in a season of correction, we think, God doesn't see me, God doesn't care, God won't bless me. And that's not what God is saying. What is God saying? Why do you complain, Jacob? Yeah, I know you're gonna, I know you're the trickster. I know you've deceived yourself. I know you're gonna suffer the consequences. And I know what you're wrestling with right now, which is whether or not I'm gonna bless you. And then what does he say next? Why do you say, wait, wait, go back. Go back one. Why do you say, what is he, what's the next name God calls us? Oh, snap. Do you know what Israel means in Hebrew? One who wrestles with God. Every single one of us are going to wrestle with God. God knows that you're going to doubt in the middle of your consequences. God knows that you're going to wrestle with whether or not he actually practically can change your life for the better. Doubt is normal, okay? That's Israel's name. I'm wrestling with God. That's normal. Don't give in to despair. What is despair? Despair is this. Read this with me. Despair is when we give up, refusing to believe God has a good future for us. Viktor Frankl, he's one of Europe's leading psychiatrists around the time of World War II. He endured the Nazi concentration camps. He writes this about despair. The prisoner who has lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline. And usually this happened quite suddenly. Usually it began with the prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and washed or to go out on the parade grounds. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. He just lay there, 
hardly moving. That's despair. Despair starts with our refusal to believe that God could change our situation, our heartaches, the consequences of our actions, the consequences of other people's actions that have now put us in this hole. Why? Because despair is built on the belief that God isn't with you, that he doesn't care, that he's left you. But Isaiah is not going to have any of that kind of thinking to his people who are now in captivity. So Isaiah reminds us of the truth. Verse 28, read this with me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. God isn't getting tired of you. God isn't weary of your circumstances or situation. God is always overcoming all the things that you're enduring so that he can build in you a beautiful heart and a beautiful life. Someone say amen. This is the truth that crushes despair. And then God gives us a promise that you and I desperately need to hold on to while we're in the middle of God's correction. Verse 29, you've heard this before probably. Read this with me. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Usually, we see these verses written in cursive on a, a, a mug or on a cheesy tapestry or maybe on like that's next to a cat poster that says like hang in there right <laughs> these verses are taken out of its historical context and I, I want you just to remember the historical context Israel is absolutely being crushed by life read it again with me read it again but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles, meaning that you're going to have perspective. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In 2013, uh, a girl named Katie Lentz, she was 19 years old. This is nine years ago. She's, she's 28 now. She was in a horrible crash in Missouri. It's in the wintertime. Uh, she was trapped in the car. Her legs were broken. Um, she had all these grave injuries. Paramedics were trying to get her, out, get her out. Firefighters are using the jaws of life to get her out. This is actually a picture of, this, of the crash. Um, ABC News was on the scene. They just happened to be there. Um, and then all of a sudden, the jaws of life couldn't stop working. And then all of the firefighters' tools stopped working. And the paramedics and firefighters stood around, and everything they had was broken. And help was 30 minutes away and there would be no way that they would get to Katie and save Katie. And um, she was scared, and she knew she was dying, and everybody else knew that she was dying, and there was absolutely no hope. And so she asked, can someone please, please pray for me? Out loud. And in that instant, seemingly out of nowhere, a Catholic priest appeared. He had salt and pepper hair, um, and, and nobody had seen him coming. And he prayed out loud with Katie and anointed her with oil. And then everyone, including Katie, noticed two things at this moment. That number one, uh, a deep peace came over everybody at the crash scene. And second, 
all of the equipment started working again. And third, this Catholic priest disappeared. And, every, I mean, it was on national news. It was on the evening national news that night about all these first responders, paramedics. They're going, yep, the Catholic priest showed up. We didn't see him. All our equipment's broken. Now it's working. We have peace. We were able to free Katie, save her life. But then he disappeared, and nobody was. And literally, the, in 2013, everybody thought, it's an angel. It was like, this is a legit angel sighting. And so exciting. Um, until Father Patrick Doling came forward, he was the guy that actually prayed for Katie. There he was. I don't know who the guy is on the bottom left. <laughs> I don't know. If that's how he aged, I'm going to talk about diet. Um, but there's Katie. There's Katie right now. And I always admit, I was totally disappointed that this wasn't an angel. I was like, oh, I shall not, you know, like God's going to like rescue me in the middle of my, you know, the angels and stuff. Um, but then I got to thinking about Isaiah and what God says to his people in exile. He says that those who hope in God will, will renew their strength. And Isaiah 41, uh, chapter, or chapter 41, verse 12, it says this. God says, do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I thought about all the times that God has used you and people in my life to strengthen me and uphold me. And I want you to know this, that in God's kingdom, God uses people just as much as he uses angels, and he uses angels a lot. In her darkest moment, in her scariest moment, Katie requested that somebody pray out loud, and God brought Father Patrick Dowling there. And God used his out loud prayer to change countless lives. Equipment started working, peace overwhelmed people. It was incredible. They found new strength. They found that they were faint, and then they had strength, and they kept working, and they saved Katie's life. Now, let me make one last point. Katie prayed. That's what she wanted. Prayer is the key to correction and God's comfort. You cannot be corrected and you cannot be comforted and you cannot receive new strength unless you pray. So last Monday, I've been practicing praying. I asked God before staff meeting, I was leaving the house. I said, what next, Jesus? And he said, pick up this book. I was like, okay. It was on my desk, and he said, grab this book. So I got to church and uh, to the office, and he said, open up to page 321. This is a section of the book I've never read before. I was like, okay. And I started reading. And this is what it says. The church suffers great loss as a result of the prayerlessness of their minister. <laughs> a minister's business is to train believers for a life of prayer. <laughs> My job is to teach you how to pray. That's my job. That's my heart. Because you talking to God is it. That's it. I'm not your Catholic priest. I don't mediate God's presence to you. The Holy Spirit does. And that means you've got to listen and you've got to talk with God and hear 
And every sheep knows his voice. Enough of this hogwash that you can't hear God. Just break that lie now in the name of Jesus. You can hear your father. He created you and knit you together in your mother's womb. You know him. He knows you. That's the gift of faith that is automatic for every single Christian. I'm here to teach you how to pray. I'm here to call you, to urge you to pray. Because I know how hard correction is. And you can just stay in that place of just like, I'm all alone and I'm never going to be healed and I'm never going to be whole and I'm never going to have enough. And that's not the truth. The truth is, is that if you pray and as you pray, you'll have strength and power that you never had and comfort that you never had and hope that you never had. Can we pray? Oh, Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that you pray with us, that you pray alongside us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us newfound passion and energy and to pursue our wonderful Savior. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's, you're the one who gives us the strength and the hope and the love and the joy that we need. And so I pray for a spirit of prayer for each one of my friends here today. I pray, God, that, that in the middle of our correction, we would seek you and we would listen to you and we would learn the hard lessons and we would, we would offer our hearts to you and be transformed by you. God, Create in us a hunger and a desire to be in your presence, praying through worship, praying as we read scripture, praying as we just listen to you and pour out our hearts to you, God. Form in us a heart of prayer as a church. I pray this for the people here and those listening and watching online. God, this is, this is my heart's desire for this church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you stand for the benediction? If you would like prayer, we would love to pray for you. Come on, come on forward. We'll pray for you. Also, if you want to talk about today's scripture passage in the sermon and then pray through it, that's called table talk. That's across the street. And if you would like to say, oh, God, this is good, then eat the treats outside because they're meant for you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his delight, countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's beloved, forgiven, worthy saints said. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.